Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, it's Yasir and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly otherwise i'll be releasing them here every wednesday on the coaches network podcast so for today's format slightly different and for around about 30 minutes each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments so the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Let's let's get right into it, man. You know, obviously we know we we've all been on, on our coaching journeys, working through different levels of the game, working at different um, levels in terms of qualifications and even just in different industries in terms of the countries that we're working, the game that we're working, whether it be 5v5, 6v6, 7v7. Uh, all the way up to 11 v 11 across different age groups. So, you know, just maybe just start off with an initial question for yourself, Joe. What are your thoughts in terms of coaching interventions and whether is there, is, is there a, you know, is there a one-size-fits-all approach or best approach regardless of the age group that you're working with? Or is it very much based on the context of the environment too? Yeah, it's a, a mixture of a lot of things, isn't it? There's definitely not a one-size-fits-all because every child is different. So every context is different. Every needs are different. You know, sometimes you might need to use one approach. Other times it'll be completely different based on multiple factors with each child. You know, the amount of sleep they've had, um, how much they've consolidated. You know, sometimes coaches are so keen, maybe in the right place to, to give information. But, you know, there's this phrase I heard from Alex Inglethorpe years ago, which was, is what I'm about to say going to help or hinder? 
and he'll often ask himself that question before he ever intervenes. And I think that's a great point because often, you know, it's very easy, you know, through enthusiasm for coaches to want to give information or want to ask a question or set a challenge. And then we've, it's so important we've got to let the players wrestle with that and experiment with that. And some, like, you know, I always remember Dan had said at uh, Rochdale, you could, and Jamie Allen was the same as well, and some of the other players that I observed at the older ages, you could give them, uh, you know, information, set them a challenge, give them a problem to solve. They could consolidate it. They'd already have implemented it, and they'd be on to the next one. And, they'd be, and they could genuinely do that really, really well. And they could take on boards multiple pieces of information. Whereas you could have another player who you've given him one challenge and that's enough. That's enough for today. You know, and even over the next, we could sort of join that obsession and that learning. And how do we join obsessions within practices and within games? And that might be enough over a period of programme or a period of time. Whereas often there's a danger that we've said something to them or we've shown them something on the iPad or whatever it may be. And then we're instantly hitting them with something else. And then we're hitting them again with something else. And that's when it becomes or can become too much. Um, you know, you're giving them too many things to search for and, and try and, you know, think about. So, again, it depends. Uh, there's no right or wrong. I think the challenge for coaches is personalising your interventions. And in order to do that, you've really got to think about, you know, who's the person in front of us? What are we actually working on? But how does this relate to them and their needs and their wants? And that may be through a question. It may be through some players don't always want the Q&A. Some don't want to do the dance, as a good friend of mine always says. They don't want to go for the dance. They don't want grey. They want black or white. Some prefer that. Some don't mind going through a little bit of a Q&A and being given a problem to solve and having to think about it. It really does depend. And I think for the coach... And we'll expand on this, I'm sure, throughout the night. But it's how well do you plan your interventions? And it's not so much that you're planning your interventions to the point where it's scripted, because that's not the game. And that's certainly not how learning works, right? Learning doesn't work in a linear fashion. And yet we're taught on these coach education courses that, you know, we have these, it's a very linear approach to going from one practice to the other. And we'll all, we'll have our coaching points and what have you. But there's a danger there that sometimes coaches are so wedded to the session plan and then they'll try and coach the progressions on the session plan or whatever feedback they're trying to do. And they're not actually looking at where are the players at in front of them. What do they need? Do they need to stay longer on this particular task or not? If we do move it on for the team and they're in a different type of activity, focusing on another principle, how can we still give that player the same or similar challenges that he needs or she needs to still work on? So it's all that individualised, you know, consideration. And I think that's the key, right? It's just knowing, planning your interventions in a way that you're thinking, you know what, these are some of the things I might want to look for and notice and the art of noticing, which comes with time. But not being wedded to that plan is what I'm, I'm getting at. Or, you know, I can only use this type of intervention. I've seen some clubs, they'll specify, you know, due to the EPPP, They've put in plans where it's like, at these ages, we only use guided discovery, question and answer, whatever, whatever, these different types of interventions. And there's, there's, that's, that implies that those are the only types of interventions that are appropriate for those ages. But 
we all know that every kid is different and sometimes you may need to to show, you may need to tell, you may need to do a number of things, right? You may need to lead more with questions and answers. That would be my preference. But there's a time and place for everything. Apologies for the noise in the background. So I'm in the US. I've just stepped out of the uh, coffee shop and some numpties growl in his car. So, yeah. So it all depends. It's all dependent on context and individual. Yeah, and no, I think it's a great point, Gerard. I think there's some there's some good stuff that you point out in there. I think first and foremost, there is definitely not a one size fits all approach, and it definitely is looking at the the player or the players in front of you when you are deciding how to intervene. Um, and also intervention, you know, coming back to the point you said about Alex Inglethorpe, you know, you said about you know is what I'm going to say about to hinder or, or help a player. And I think the reality is uh, you're not going to know the answer to that every single time. The context is always different. But I think we can have, have a general understanding of what we're hoping to achieve from this intervention. It's probably a better way to look at it. Um, how are we hoping that the intervention that we're about to use is going to be um, impacting on the individual that, we, that we're using it with? And I think some of the key things are kind of really established within that as well is also asking ourselves, you know, if we don't know exactly how we're going to intervene in certain moments, sometimes you know I've seen it with coaches where they've seen something, they're not 100% sure or have 100% clarity on what they want to say or how they're going to approach it, but they decide to intervene anyway. So I think the timing of the intervention is as important as the method of intervention. And, you know, just to kind of highlight, right, if, if as a coach you're not, you're, go- you're not going in there with absolute clarity, then you're probably going to hinder the player or the players that you're working with at, the, at that given moment. So just, just on that then, Gerald, you know, just maybe talk a little bit about some of the times and some of your experiences possibly where maybe you have intervened and then you thought actually that probably wasn't the best approach for that moment and maybe just give us a bit of context on that and maybe we can kind of review that and unpack it a little bit further. Well, there's loads and I'm sure we, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've done loads of this. I mean, there's been times where in the past I've, I've worked with players and again, going back to like your coaching points, if you like, or how we've been taught on courses, which isn't to say that's right or wrong. But you've got your plan and then I'm watching it and I'm I'm looking for certain things and I'm going, right, here's the time. And you're almost edging, waiting to step in and, and stop it or ask that player a question or maybe freeze it. It depends, right, on the intervention. If you're gonna if it's a global message, if it's an individual message, how are you gonna do it? But then I remember you know, giving one example where I've stopped it too soon. And actually the the solution that the kid had was probably better than what I was gonna offer. But it wasn't textbook. It wasn't like this conventional way of doing something. And just by having a bit of patience, you know, in other times I've seen it where I'm about to step in. I'm looking at his body shape. I'm looking at his angle of approach. I'm, I'm seeing that he's, he could be in a better position in order to receive. I'm just about to go in and I've actually stopped myself and I just reflected on previous mistakes. Going, let's just see how this pans out. This didn't happen in the same session. This is... I'm talking over, you know, multiple experiences. And just by waiting, he, again, this player did something that I've not seen. And it was a great way to twist and turn and get out the problem. So they must have seen something that I haven't. So I think it's really important that we often think about, you know, how do we tap into the perception of the player as opposed to always imposing our solution upon the player. And even years ago, like when you're going in that journey, you, if you think about the old coach education the way it was you know 15 years ago or more it was very much stop stand still let me tell you what what's wrong and how to fix it you know and that freeze method which some will argue it's still got a place 
with pipes gone from one end of the continuum where it's we're stopping it all the time and we're talking lots and we're, we're freezing it because that's how we were taught is the is the most effective way to deliver feedback or to help players learn and then we've gone to the other end of the continuum which is more towards giving them problems to solve less answers less about the mechanics of the skill and breaking it down and more about how can we channel their search so they're looking for information to come up with their own solution. And now we're probably, like, if you look at the, you know, old level two UEFA B, UEFA A, and you look at the new UEFA C, which has replaced the level two in England, it's UEFA B, UEFA A, even the advanced youth award is probably more towards that other way of, tapping into search as well as somewhere in the middle. I just think it's interesting now as we've, you know, over the last 15 or more years, there's been that sort of change in how do we view learning? What does learning really look like? How do we individualise interventions? You know, you mentioned about timing. What's the right timing? When's the best time to, to intervene? How can we spend more time observing and then being purposeful in our observation? What are we actually looking for? Uh, do we plan this? You know, Doug Lamov talks a lot about um, trying to think about what could go wrong. What does poor look like? What does great look like? What does outstanding look like? Have those conversations with the players. So you've got something that you're looking for and you're going into your plan really noticing, whether that's on a game day or a, or a practice, what is it you're going to notice for today? And you're going to you know, put a premium value on. And then I think we, you know, now my interventions are probably, if I was to watch an old video of me coaching when I was 19 to coach it now, you know, it'd be really interesting because I think it'd be just completely different. You know, now it'd be more asking questions. It'd be a lot more, some interventions during the breaks, very, very, very few stoppage of the whole group. I'd be managing loads and, I'd be more doing individual chats and small group chats. Every now and then you may free something or you may show something, but typically I think most of my interventions would be setting challenges, questions, having a little small discussions, using other approaches, using video, what have you, but not really prescribing or saying, you know, here's this player needs to go here. As this player goes here, you do this, which is years ago. It probably would have looked like that. It probably would have looked like, you're moving a lot of players around like a moving chessboard, right? Or you're even physically demoing what the correct or this ideal technique is. Whereas now I'm more interested in what the players can do. And it just, it depends on it. And then you, how you get, where your timing, right? Oh, definitely. I think there's some great points in there. I want to kind of take you back to one of the earlier points that you mentioned as well regarding you know, actually speaking to the players as individuals and identifying maybe what kind of uh, interventions they like. But just also being conscious that, you know, the players might give you an answer because they're limited in their thinking and maybe they don't know a way that might be more effective for them, which I think is really key. And also even the, in the piece that you touched on around them coming up with their own creative solutions around things that you might not have observed or seen as an opportunity to kind of impact with that. We want to maybe spend a little bit more time using intervention to find out what did they see, why you know why did they make the decisions they did make, you know what what, what were the things that maybe that they didn't even consider, and how you know have that conversation so that we can start helping them develop a greater sense of awareness around the context they're in and the things that are around them and within the environment. Um, and I and I think there's some there's some great bits in there. 
But guys, I just want to take a brief second just to kind of remind everyone, if you guys could reshare, retweet this uh, Twitter space, that would be fantastic. Um, and just try and get more people joining the conversation and get the conversation really going with some great more great views from everyone else that's involved. And if anyone has a, any points they want to add or share with us at any point, please feel free to put your hands up and request the opportunity to speak. That would be amazing. Um, but Joe, you know, just coming back to the coaching interventions themselves, I'm just, you know, you're, you think you're spot on, you know, the coaching, the coach education pathway, if you like, especially in the in England anyway, has changed dramatically over the years. You know, where, they, as you said, they want to very much a stop-standstill kind of approach. Uh, you know, I, I'm the coach, I say you do kind of approach much more towards the other end of the spectrum now where it is a little bit more free, a little bit more open, or probably a lot more free, a lot more open around letting the players explore, letting the players decide on, you know, what to do and why they're going to do it and, and really just giving them a little bit more ownership. One other thing I think does go often over, overlooked in this sort of topic is actually where the coaches are actually effectively planning these interventions into their into their session design and how they're going to plan for these sorts of interventions. I think it's very important to understand over time you're going to get to know your players and it's really effective to understand just how your players do like to be interacted with. Now, linking back into your previous point, it's just, you know, how often do you maybe yourself plan your sessions and actually within the session planning itself decide, all right, well, this is how I'm going to impact on this particular point that I want to get out, or this is one of the outcomes I'm looking for. These are the ways in which I can use as interventions within my session going forward to kind of get those messages out, if that makes sense. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's loads there, right? And I think, you know, it's not to say that one approach is perhaps, you know, better than the other because we've got to be careful of dualisms. And it's just understanding, like, what are the trade-offs if we do one approach over another and where the, the relevance to the player. Um, and obviously, we'll all have our preferences. But, you know, talking about your thoughts there, yeah, I would typically plan my questions. I don't know how much time people think about planning their questions. And that's not to say that you can't have things that you'll do intuitively or, you know, on the fly in a session, because I'm sure there will be. But I'll try to be thinking about what type of questions am I going to ask before, what are some, based on some of the things I might want to notice and look for. So it's not all reactive. Um, and I would try and plan for how and when I'm going to deliver certain types of interventions. More so, I'm trying to be really effective and efficient on my timing. So I'll allocate a certain amount of time, whether it's, you know, a minute in an explanation or less to get them playing, whether it's certain stuff during the water breaks or any periods, rest periods. So if we're working for a certain amount of minutes and we're resting for this many minutes, how, that's my allocated time to deliver any questions or do any individual work or drive-by stuff that I can do. And that's it. If I am doing stuff in, how that affects the the time for the playing. So really being conscious of like active learning time while the ball's rolling, what they're doing. You know, I'm trying not to steal away minutes from the players because I think there's a lot of time coaches don't plan their interventions. They certainly don't plan the type of questions they're going to ask or the guided questions and how and who they'll ask them to. So then they're not really working off a framework and you can have flexibility within that framework because something, again, will happen in front of you and you may need to or not address it. But by having a framework, you're at least guiding what you're looking for rather than just doing it purely off the cuff. Depends how good you are. Again, depends on a lot of factors. I would plan that because 
if I, I think if you don't plan it, or at least have a think about it, there's a danger that you're going into the session and then potentially you could be stealing from the players the minutes that they're playing, right? And if I'm talking more than they're playing, you know, take that away from setup time, transition time into activities, all these different types of things, you know, how many stoppages there have been, whatever. Even if you took a basic 60-minute session, if the coach has been speaking for X amount of minutes and then you take away all the other stuff, the players are left with very few minutes where they can actually get touches on the ball and learn and be involved in these problem-solving activities. So I think that's one consideration for coaches is when you do speak, you know, you've got to have a real good reason to speak. I know people use that phrase, less is more, and perhaps you could even flip it the other way and say more is less. And it's meaning the same thing, right? It's how you can have the most amount of impact with the less disrupt with less disruption. So I use this phrase now, just based on my own reflections, which is minimal disruption, but maximum impact. And in doing so, I'll, I'll, in order to achieve that, I'll try and plan before. No, definitely. I think spot on, and I think just one, just one kind of uh, final piece, just to add on it before we start opening up the room for other people to uh, join in is just looking at the interventions and the, you know, the questions that you talked about there. One of the, you know, you know, similar to yourself, you know, been a coach educator for the last few years. And, you know, one of the things I always encourage coaches to do within their session planning is, can you think of one, two, maybe even three, if possible, questions that you believe are going to support your players in getting you closer to the outcomes that you're hoping to get? So in this case, it's not as simple as, you know, if, if we say, as an example, um, we want to develop players on, on their ability to pass the ball. It's not just, oh, what do you think you need to do when you pass the ball? Yeah, technically speaking, yes, it's a question, but that question is not really going to help you elaborate on anything. It might just be asking more of the the five bums on the goalpost uh, analogy, where you've got the where, the what, the why, the how, and the when. And then just looking at it from that perspective, what kind of why questions are you using? What kind of where questions are you using? What kind of what questions are you using? What kind of who questions are you using? What kind of when questions are you using? So just have a think about maybe using a different type of question across those different formats within your session design for each kind of outcome you're looking for. So if my coaching point is around point A, what's the where, what's the who, what's the why, what's the when, and what's the how? And then I kind of attach that to each of the outcomes. And that's one of the kind of real little little tips I'd give to one, you know, all the coaches that I've worked across over the years as well. Um, but I'm yeah, and, and just sorry, just to add something real quick as well, is like in the questions that we're asking, often a lot of people talk about guided questions but are they really guided questions it's almost like you know any parents in the room you're sort of saying well it's this or it's this and the and the kids can know because they've learned that even at school you know by how they're taught by teachers and they'll quickly know what is the right and wrong answer and that's not really guided questions and you know we've got to be careful with closed questions even be careful with open questions because too open can be too confusing as well are yeah. we asking things that are low-level thinking skills or are we promoting higher-level thinking skills? Are we just playing bingo with them? And Because the, I see that every week, every week, <laughs> uh, academy, professional game, grassroots game, everywhere I've been all over the world, every week I always see coaches asking these questions. The kids are telling them the answers they want. They're just regurgitating information. That's not learning. Yeah. To the point where it's pointless, it's almost like, they're just repeating what the coach has said. It's, it's don't tell me, show me. And, and then just last thing, I would, is when 
you've got all these interventions like you know trial and error and all these different ones people have put together which is great but what about trial and success you know because you don't just learn by making mistakes you also learn by getting things well and mm. doing it right mm. so and it's not to imply that there's a one only right way because there isn't you know but what what i'm saying is you gain confidence in order to be confident you must first be competent right and that's in anything and training is about forming habits and often there's a danger that if we're putting them in these environments where, which we should be, that are problem solving, you know, chaotic interference, giving them challenges, things to think about. We've got a duty of care then to make sure that we're helping the players along that journey so that they're, they're figuring stuff out on their own, they're coming up with their own solutions. But that doesn't mean leave them to their own devices or or put them in environments that are overly sanitised and they're just training bad habits, you know, based on the design of the practice. They're doing things that we won't want them to necessarily do in a game. So I think, you know, there's an issue there where it's like, it's not just trial and error, it's trial and success. And can we create environments where, as an intervention, they're getting success, they're learning from it, and then we can keep stretching them so that, you know, they're, good, they're forming good habits rather than bad habits. Right. Um, but yeah, sorry. No, no, definitely. I think you're spot on there. And I think it's some great stuff. I think just one final piece before we open up the room for the, for the rest of the guys in the room. You know, it's just coaches just strongly recommend that you ask yourself. Coming back to the initial point you mentioned earlier about is it going to help and hinder? But more importantly, if you're going to ask a question, what are you hoping to get out of the question? Ask yourself, how is this question going to help me? further develop their understanding and their expertise in what they're about to do or they are currently doing and if you can't answer that question it's probably not best it's probably best not to ask that question yet so just you know just just something to consider there um but i'm conscious we've got people in the room that we want to get involved um, but just before we do let them on guys just a quick one for everyone if you can reshare this room um let people know that you're involved let people know what they're missing out on because you know every week myself and gerard are here sunday evening 8 p.m some fascinating conversations taking place and it's great to get everyone involved and hopefully in a way where we can all collaborate with one another, share ideas and hopefully, you know, just genuinely improve. Um, Tony, join us. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How's you? Very well, thank you, man. Talk to me. What have you so far, Tony? That's some good points raised so far, but I, I'm going to kind of um, probably contradict a little bit of, of what Gerard said. And it's just... Whether it's um, an age slash experience thing, I don't. I, I never plan my coach interventions because I never know what I'm going to see. Um, I know what the session plan is. I, I prepare my session plans quite thoroughly. I know how the session's going to run. I know what order I want to do vi- various bits and pieces in, but I actually don't know what's going to happen until the ball starts to roll, um, and I can't remember who it was uh, some time ago now when I was on a course could well have been Dick Bate uh, came out with this fantastic phrase which which I really like and it, it was the art of skillful neglect so I know what the I know what the focus 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Of my session is, and I can either I can either deal with everything or I can ignore certain things. So I don't plan my interventions, but experience has, has, has shown me over the years where, when, and how I need to step in. Um, and that's that's maybe been easier for me because I tend to work with older kids in in an academy setting. Um, that's now changed. I've, I, I've, I'm gonna. I'm in the process of moving away from from that environment, and I'm probably going to now get involved a lot more with um, with a grassroots environment. Uh, and I might need to change again, um, but I, I certainly don't think that. Um, I think that. There's a good graphic which I'll share later on on Twitter uh, with the coaching interventions wheel. And I think you need to be able to use all of those spokes on that intervention wheel. I completely agree. I don't think that's contradictory at all. I absolutely love that because I love the skillful neglect because, as you said, there might be times where it's, you know, we can touch on that another day. Uh, and I think the wheel that you're talking about, which would be great to share later, it's, that's another useful tool framework for coaches just to pick and choose what's what's right for each player, right? And in different contexts, different scenarios. I love the point that's made by Tony there around we, until the ball moves, we don't actually know, do we? So you've got a plan, but then, you know, it's the ability to adapt. Uh, I think I just fought on both of you there. I think that that point itself, we don't know what to... Um what to expect necessarily but we do I think there is some things that we can expect and I think even within those expectations that the planning for those expectations um, does give us the ability to kind of flex and adapt around you know the, the word that you used earlier really Gerard and it's that framework piece it's not a model it's not a model and a model because the model dictates that it's going to be identical the framework is um, for me a better word a better word for it and a better way of looking at um, the way we approach things because with the framework itself it means that we're working within certain parameters and within those parameters anything can exist um that can exist so for instance you know if it's a passing practice and it's literally we're just saying right we're going to go back and forth and all we're going to do is one person to the other person just back and forth we know that's a model practice it's not a framework practice because even within that session itself not much is going to change it's going to be very limited in that 
but the framework is where we now start to move towards a bit more of a varied and maybe a random practice where links back into what Tony's saying that you know you might not necessarily plan for those interventions or plan what that's going to look like because it could be anything I think there is a case for definitely having some sort of expectations of or yeah just some expectations of what you what you what you think might happen um doesn't mean they're going to be set in stone but I think they're a good it's a good uh, basis to kind of work from um but on that you know kind of then just brings me back into a, a little bit of a conversation around the element of the whole part whole approach you know what a lot of coaches do um with the whole part whole approach is literally yeah, let's play a game I'm going to break off for a little practice and go back into it and go back into a game but actually the way I, the, the way I see it is you know to truly have an impactful whole whole approach you need to do um an even more extensive process of planning where you can actually anticipate right these are all well not all but these are the majority of the possible outcomes i'm hoping or i'm expecting to then work on as a part of that whole if that makes sense because the part should be in response to the whole and not just in vain of it so i think that's something to consider as well but that's you know that's a conversation for another day but Tony, I think you're spot on. I think there is, a, you know, there is there is a case for maybe not planning necessarily, but I think it's it's good to have one one eye on what could happen um, without setting it in stone, if you like. Um, just just uh, just to kind of recap, guys. You know, every single week, myself and Joe are here discussing different topics that are put to us. This week, we're talking about coaching interventions, whether there's a whether there is a best approach and what what the impacting variables are. Um, over to you, Johnny. Do you want to join us? Hey, fellas. Loving it again tonight. It's good stuff. Keep it going. I'm just wanting to maybe throw a couple of my ways of coaching at you, and I would love your feedback. Um, I kind of always have that coaching bingo in my mind. I love what, what Gerard was saying about, you know, they just I learn a lot with my three-year-old at the moment is they just throw words back at you. So kind of, I'd love to know your thoughts on, on the words or phrases I use. Quite often it's, how do you feel? How did it feel? Is a question I'd ask. Or what would you do next time? So if I do go for an intervention or I'm thinking about an intervention, the first sentence I'd, I'd kind of want to use was, what would you do next time? And then just another point I'd like to get feedback on is I, I quite often use players in the group and I'll ask them on the quiet, what did you take from the point? Or did the point make sense? Just to give myself some in-session feedback. And then sometimes I'll also then use the players to reinforce the point to kind of create peer-to-peer -peer learning opposed to always being the coach's feedback. I know that's a lot to throw at you there, but i just like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, some great points there, Johnny. I think I'll start us off, I think, the first one. You know, you talked there about the types of language that you're using. I think the piece around how you feel, I think, is fascinating. Um, it's something that I've been kind of really in a bit of an entanglement with over the last couple of years in getting players to be more in touch with how they do actually feel in certain moments of the game, certain moments of sessions, whether that be in direct response to an action, whether that be in direct response to an observation, um, or just a, a, a reflection, if you like. So I think that, that that's a great question. I think one of the things I would say, though, is um, something that I've, I've, I've encouraged all coaches to avoid asking is, do, does that make sense? Do you understand? And 
those 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 sorts of questions because I don't think they 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 serve a really good purpose in other other than potentially boosting the coach's ego and the players saying yes I understand because the reality is they're going to say yes because they want to get back to playing this playing the game or get back to the session as quick as possible um, and that's one way for them to satisfy your your your, your I guess your feelings in that respect so I think the better better kind of approach is asking them right show of hands who can explain back to me what I've just said you might get you might get a bit of a different response from that you might get some people who've got their hands all the way up some people with their hands halfway up but what you all start to see and probably be a better indicator of is who's confident with what you've actually shared with them um and that's probably a better indicator that probably is maybe more impactful than asking players who understood um an additional piece around what you said there is obviously talk about the peer learning one of the things I, I I started doing many years ago, and I, I don't I'm not as consistent with it as I probably should be and, and would like to be because of the impact I've seen it have, is actually at the start of the session, um, or it might even be decided before we even go into the session, I'll pair players up, and where there's not pairs, I'll probably just put them in threes, and and I'll give them a challenge. The challenge is simple: um, you need to observe the person you've been paired with, or you've been or you've been grouped with, and for each person that you're working with, uh, there needs to be at least one positive thing that you've seen them do in, and you can do it practice by practice or you can do it session by session but one positive thing that you've seen them do in this practice or in today's session um, and you need to be able to relay that back to them at the end of the session but you also need to see one area of development and give and do the same process but the key thing is not to stop just on that one observation but actually build on that by actually providing them with some context so John, you know, I love I love Johnny's hard work today. Okay, can you put that into a picture for him? What does that actually look like? Well, I love the way that Johnny actually tracked back. Okay, fantastic. Now let's let's build on that further. So you want to give him the what, give him the impact it has, and give him the um, the visual, right? Because what gets what gets rewarded gets repeated, right? So it might be that right. I love the way Johnny tracked back there, but actually, what was really good about the way he did it was Johnny actually came through on the inside, which didn't allow him to play that forward pass. So he forced them outside as well as tracking back at the same time. Now all of a sudden, Johnny's got a visual of what actually what what it was that looked good and what was perceived to be good by the players around him, which then subsequently could act as a you know uh, an, another resource for players that are listening and on that conversation. So that's just another kind of way to look at it, but. Those are my thoughts. Um, hopefully that kind of covered what you said there, but it'll be interesting to get yours, Tony, and yours as well, Gerard. Yeah, should, I'll jump back in if I can. Um, I don't know if Gerard's going to remember this now, and he certainly won't be embarrassed by it because I think we've probably discussed it before. Uh, I'm actually responsible partly for, for Gerard's coaching journey because I, uh, I passed him on his level two many years ago. And um, one of the things... Um, we loved about Gerard was his enthusiasm for what he did, but he had a real bad habit of saying good and then stopping the practice. So I said to him in his debrief, if it was good, why did you stop it? And I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that the, the words that you use need to be impactful and have purpose. And certainly the longer that I've, uh, the longer that I've coached, the less I tend to say. And the, the lads that have played for me and, and the lads that have coached around me over the years, then realize, if, you know, if, if I'm praising something, then they know they've done something really well. But at the same time, if I'm having a, a, a go at them for something, then they know that they've messed up, for want of a better word. Um, 
So I think that, you know, if, if you're going to say the same thing over and over and over again, it loses any meaning for your players. I, th- I think a spot on tone, and I, it just really reminds me of a conversation that I, I heard, um, I think it was Gary Neville have actually around commentary and being very, very conscious about the words you're using when you're describing certain moments that take place in a game. You know, for for instance, you know, if you're going to if you're going to describe something that Lionel Messi does is incredible, or you know, out of this world as an example, you've got to be very conscious about when you then use that term again. Not not to say that it's specific to Lionel Messi, but if there is actually an instance which you consider to be out of this world, if you like, just think about how often those things could happen, and whether every instance that you actually then use it is actually out of this world or whether it could just be incredible or excellent work, if that makes sense. And I think the, the 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 use of the words is so impactful, timing of it. And, you know, just another piece to kind of really just unpack what you've said there as well. And as much as it is a highlight for the players to get praise from me and understand they're doing something well, they've also got that other element of actually he's saying something here that's not too well. But then it's all that, it's also that bit in between. When you're not saying much, they, they they should be challenging themselves and thinking, right, okay, he's not saying anything here. That means it's not necessarily bad, but we're not actually ex- we're probably not excelling either. So there's something to consider for them, and for them to ponder on during during the practice or the session, um, or the game even. So I think it's a great point. Great point. So, guys, just again a quick reminder. Um, Every Sunday evening, we are here taking on coaches' questions, questions I've been put to myself and Gerard. Um, so we have another Twitter space every Sunday. Hopefully, build a community of coaches that can, you know, collaborate with one another, share knowledge, share insight, you know, share insights rather, um, and look to kind of continue to grow and collaborate with one another. Um, Johnny, thanks for that thought. Tony, obviously, thanks for your words so far. I just don't want to conscious if we've got anyone else in the room that wants to kind of get involved and speak. Well, we've got one here actually. Is it yes, sir? Hey, um, I joined the thing and it automatically made me a speaker. I didn't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, you're up now. If you've got anything you want to add, then feel free to as well. Um, okay, sure. I've got, I've got a question. Um, so, you see, I'm very meticulous with my, with my planning. Um, and I want every player to benefit from, from the session. The thing is, is it's when you let's say you've got a group of sixteen players, and I mean, how do you in in a ninety minute session how how do you manage your attention to make sure that you're giving each player as much as you can because that's a very difficult difficult thing to do. And I think it's a very fantastic question. In fact, so you know, I think I'll probably start off by saying first and foremost, you know, it's it's never easy. But I think the key is obviously knowing your players and understanding where they're at on their journey. But obviously having an idea of what you're hoping to gain out of the session is very key. So, I mean, the way I would personally approach it is have kind of three levels of the session, if you like. Um, so you've got, you know, those that are kind of where you want them to be in terms of the outcomes that you set. You need to maybe have potential outcomes for those who are maybe pushing above that and maybe striving ahead, if you like. Um, or forging ahead, if you like, and then there are those players who maybe who, who aren't quite where you need them to be in terms of the average of the group, and then you might need to have some sort of regressive um, action or deve- action plans in place for them. So I think that's probably an initial way to approach it in terms of supporting everyone, 
but but I think also one of the real key approaches is as much as you want to target every single player in the session, it's going to be a very big challenge. I think what you should be doing as a as a coach is maybe setting pace for the the majority of the group and kind of working around that and seeing right if that's the majority of the group are in there, that's where they're kind of at. They're probably all going to need a similar level of support. Yes, the support might look different, um, but then also. One of the key things I've 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 really kind of picked up on and and really taken on board in the last few years is try not to assume too much. So what I mean by that is when you put on a demo, maybe think right: is the player doing the demo the best person to do demo? Not because they're dead to technically the most proficient, but are they the ones that actually understand what's required? Because it could be sometimes that we automatically, you know, and I've seen it so many times. I've and I'm sure I've done it myself where. We know a player's got it in them to, you know, complete an action, whether that be a pass or a particular type of dribble or whatever it might be. And we say, right, yo, uh, you know, Tony, can you can you quickly just show us how to do this? But Tony doesn't actually understand it until he sees it first. So it might be that, right, I get Gerard to do it. Gerard might be, as an example, a 7 out of 10 of doing it. But Gerard understands it from the get-go. But now that Tony's seen Gerard do it, Tony gets it. But Tony can actually perform it at maybe a 9 out of 10. So it's maybe like carefully picking who your players are that you're utilising as showcase players for those sorts of demos as well. And just kind of really just comes right back to the top of the conversation and the first point and it's really about knowing your players and who needs what. So I think that's really key. Um, hopefully that gives you some sort of insight in terms of the question that you've asked. But t- Tony, Gerard, it'd be good to get your thoughts. And Johnny, even if you've got anything to add as well. Yeah, I'm interested in what, like anything from Tony or even like we've got Keith and a few decent people here have got some incredible experience. I'll um I'll just pop in if if you don't mind. What I would say to that, um Yasir is with with your players you've got to they've got to realise that not every session is about them. Um and that then provides a that pretty really provides a challenge for you so that you can make sure that your players realise you might be working to a syllabus or a cycle, so you might be working, or the, the focus is predominantly on the forwards, for example, but you're not ignoring what the defenders or the midfield players do. And sooner or later, there'll be a session that comes around that is predominantly uh, midfield player-based, and you'll have to go back to the point that I made earlier on about skillful neglect, skillfully neglect your forwards and defenders. But Hopefully, the way that you coach, um, if you are meticulous and you say you are, so there's absolutely no reason for me to criticise that. Sooner or later, you'll get round to their players. But you'll never be able to... I I say you'll never be able to. I don't think that you will be able to effectively um, hit 16 players in every single session. So, because in your practice, do you, do you guys have a sort of almost okay? This is what I must hit. These players must have this much development, and then sort of do you have like a sort of like a must should could in a way? Do you guys have certain players, certain targets must be hit, and then if possible, ideally, we'd also want to get these players and, and this extra level of targets, and then possibly, if possible, the rest. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what Keith and and even Tony on this one, you know, what they're doing in their clubs and their roles. I mean, typically I'll plan my work and I'll design practices that, of course, 
you're facilitating as a teacher. You've got 16, 20, however many players you've got. So you're going to be touching. Everyone's going to get best of something for sure. And within that practice, there's an individualized approach or individual difference because I'll always try and think about, you know, if Yaz is the number nine and he needs to get better at his one-on-ones with a keeper, right? But we're doing a lot on how we break lines and our build-up and possession. Well, we can have those possession practices, but within that practice, I can design something so that as and when the ball arrives to Yaz or whoever, are they in a one-on-one against the keeper? And are they getting those, you know, repetitions without repetition? So I'll try and, like, design individual difference. So it's, you're touching on different people and their needs. So it's an individual approach or individualised approach. But then within that, I will think, right, if I've got 16 or 10 or 12 or... Like tonight, we're doing ID sessions here. There'll be three players that I'll try and laser on within that 16. They'll be going, do you know what? I'm really focusing on Marcus and this player and that player. And they're the ones that by the end of it, you know, they'll all have got something. But by the end, how how much have I developed Marcus based on his, his personal plan? And that's how I'll try to do it. And we'll each be responsible for a certain number of players. And it will change. And some I'm focusing on the greens and some I'm focusing on the reds. And what I mean by that is green will be a strength. And how can you turn a strength into their super strength? Reds would be, you know, an area for development. And it'd be interesting. You know, ideally you want to work on more people's strengths than the, the, for want of a better word, weaknesses. But there are areas where you have to, of course, address stuff. And it might be that for certain people, I might need, it might be like for one player who's in the youth team, He's, he's going for that stage, he's quite petulant, he gets very frustrated when he loses the ball, he doesn't react very well. Things are going against him, he's not reacting well. So for him, that's a, that emotional management and what have you, that's a red and I'll be working on within training around that. But for somebody else, it might be a green in terms of like just their ability to deal with 1v1s with pressure from behind and how do they how do, they do that and retain the ball? Um, and then obviously some people, I've met some coaches who can have five, like they can do it really well. Osh used to typically work with two or more, Osh and Roberts. Um, and I'm sure he'll be doing the same stuff at Crystal Palace now. For me, I would struggle with having too many because I think you, you, you're making it harder and harder. But that's just me. Somebody else might be able to cope with loads of individuals that they can focus on. You know, so it just depends. But that's how I'd approach it. I don't know what you guys, you know, Tony or Keith what your thoughts are not even what you do in your environment. Yeah, listen, I, I don't know whether... Uh, I, I mean, some wonderful comments being made here. There's no doubt about it. What an interesting subject. But I just focus... I personally think there's, there's three key points here, and that is, I mean, the information, all information that we want in terms of delivery is in front of us. And I, I agree with what Tony said. It's it's coaching the moment, but actually having a real clear uh, outcome in mind actually helps to provide transparency, both for yourself and equally for the players. The, the, the three key points are information's in front of us, clarity of the focus and then actually using a multi-sensory approach in terms of the language that we use, which obviously is going to be age-specific. And, and, and then in around that, 
what do we have in regards to ball rolling time because that's massively important. So really interesting topic. I don't think there is a answer, a specific answer to all of this, but for sure, it's certainly food for thought. Uh, but clarity of focus is massively uh, key in all of this. I think you're spot on there, Keith. Um, and good evening to you as well. I think some really great comments so throughout the conversation. I think it's, you know, one to you know, to, for coaches to really ponder on. And I think again, you see some great questions there. Um, I think as, as Tony, Gerard, and kind of Keith really touched on, it, I don't think there really is a one size fits all approach for any of any of the players that we work with or any of the any of the environments we're in. I think it's just it is literally taking each day and each session as it comes understanding that, you know, in order to produce the best type of sessions and the best impact, we need to really get to know the players that we're working with and understand what their needs are and their wants are. Because um, those are just as important. You know, sometimes it might be that a player doesn't want to be challenged, as Gerard has touched on in the past. Sometimes it is literally just a player needs just to play without the additional focus, without the additional um, piece around having to focus on the, t- the outcomes. They're just going through the motions sometimes. And I think that it's understanding who needs what, when they need it. And you're not always going to get it right. But if we're thinking about doing it and we're thinking about providing the best platform, then we are putting their considerations into into place as well. Um, again, just a quick re- re- reminder, guys, you know, myself and Joe are here every single Sunday hosting these conversations where questions have been put to us um, from coaches on Twitter and various other platforms. These are recorded. These are then later uploaded and, and, and put onto the Coaches Network podcast which you can find on all major platforms. Um, so if you haven't got a question or you've got any thoughts that you want to add in the, on the conversations, whether that be tonight or going forward, please feel free to kind of let us know, get in touch, drop us a DM. But most importantly, guys, make sure you're following us. You know, you can follow me on the coach on at the coaches net and Gerard over to you, man. Absolutely. I just think there's loads there, right? I mean, unless there's any lasting comments or, or questions from me, anyone, let me know. Um, but I just think there's loads of real detail there. Great insights from everyone. Really appreciate everyone who, who's spoken, you know, Tony, Keith, so on, you know, Johnny, everyone who's, who's contributed yourself, Yaz. I think it's been great. Loads of interaction. And I mean, this is what we want, isn't it? And we want even those debates, right? Because I think as coaches, we've got to have this opportunity where we can challenge each other, challenge each other's thinking. And we're just going to push each other to raise the standards and elevate coaching because it comes back to the kids at the end of the day. So really enjoyed it. And hopefully people have got something from it and uh, we're going to keep doing this every week and just really excited to inspire a bit of curiosity. I'll leave everyone with that. You know, can we keep staying curious and you know, look forward to the, the next conversation? Well, there you have it guys. Another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. 
serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.